Today's episode is being sponsored by Swiss Hospitality Guild. SHG is a training center created to meet the strong demand for specialized hospitality staff. This training concept was born from the experience and expertise of its founder, Egidio Marcato. Egidio has become a reference in the world of hospitality coaching and has had success stories in skills championships, including Swiss skills, Euro skills, and world skills, as well as the AICR World's Best Receptionist Competition. Contact SHG at www.swisshospitalityguild.com. Hello, and welcome to 50 Shades of Hospitality. This is Crystal Cavan. Today, we are welcoming Yahya Shakshir to our program. Yahya is Director of Academic Operations at Cornerstone International Community College of Canada. Welcome, Yahya. It's a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you are currently doing? Absolutely, Crystal. Thank you so much for having me. It's an, it's an absolute pleasure to reconnect with Mr. Marcado after so many years. Uh, he's been such a great inspiration. So just to just put this out there, it's an absolute opportunity, beautiful opportunity to be here right now to reconnect with Mr. Marcado and an amazing podcast that you have all put together, 50, 50 Shades of Hospitality. What a great, great name. Uh, all the success to this great podcast. So thank you for having me as, a, as an invite, guest invite. Uh, so my name is Yahya. I am the Academic Director in Cornerstone Community College. Uh, and for the past uh, 15, 18 years, I've been uh, strictly within the hospitality and education industry. Uh, one of the things that opened the door for me was when I graduated from Gleon in 2009. Uh, that was the uh, milestone, the beginning milestone of my life uh, going into the operational side of uh, hotels. Since Gleon up until I believe 2015, I've just been internationally working in hotel, uh, luxury hotel chains uh, around the world. So uh, Thailand, France, uh, uh, Florida, uh, Dubai, these are all countries that I've actually worked in. Uh, and we're talking uh, from Park Hyatt's to Intercontinental and Sofitel Accor. These, and, and I've always been within the room sector. Uh, growing up here, I'm in Canada, Vancouver, British Columbia. Through, I grew up here. My my education in high school was here, so I thought, let me just come back and settle back in Vancouver. Um, surprisingly, when I was working in one of the hotels here, uh, a guest was very pleased and happy with my uh, ways of elaboration and ways of talking, so he said, you should consider being a hospitality instructor. This was back in 2014. At that time, I didn't know much about being a hospitality instructor, so I looked that up and I said, you know what, this looks very interesting, let me apply. And it turns out that here, Crystal, in Vancouver, uh, little did I know that there's a huge, huge community for hospitality instructors and there's programs that really supports uh, this uh, education system. So I said, you know what, let me apply. And uh, that was in 2014. I started off as a hospitality instructor. I saw the content. I said, wow, if I did not work in these hotels and if I did not go to the most reputable and best school in the world for hotel management. Of course, I would not be able to relate and be able to share my real life examples to the students. But because of my past experience, it built a lot of confidence in me to go and do this. And I never turned back since because it was so much fun 
And there's something very special to connect with the students when, the, when you're in this classroom all alone and you have that great experience to connect with them. And uh, fast forward uh, since 2014, I've managed to work my way up, get myself involved a lot in career developing and program developing, uh, a lot involved with the uh, community here in Vancouver. Uh, that now I've reached uh, the stage where I manage uh, three campuses. We have, well, when I first started in this school, Cornerstone, there was only about 75 students and there was only two programs. Here now, 2023, we have 3,000 students and we have like about 16 to 18 programs. And I just basically, at the moment, academically direct all programs, all campuses, all instructors. I evaluate and make sure they all follow standards and procedures. Wow, amazing. Uh, now, can you tell our listeners, um, because not everybody is, of course, from North America, could you tell us a little bit more about the community college? Uh, what, what exactly you yeah. know, is a community college? Very good. Yeah. So, so there's actually two types of community college. There's private community college and there's public community college. So, so the difference between the two is um, one is really tailored towards domestic uh, students uh, and another one is tailored a lot towards international students. Uh -huh. Uh, the public community college is very useful for students that uh, are domestic. Let's say you, you just, you know, regular Canadian work studying in high school and uh, finished high school, and you're not sure what university to go to. So you can start off by going to a community college. Very, very cheap, very affordable being Canadian, uh, designed a lot, government support, government funding. Uh, you can go great education, and then from there you can get you can get an associate's degree, which will be able to continue off as a pathway to a university, uh, which reduces the time that needs to complete for a bachelor's. Very very common, but the private community college that one is 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 slightly different. The private one is more tailored. To, it's it's not government funding. It's not government support. It's not under the Ministry of Education. There's a there's another uh, private training branch that regulates it, and we have to follow and comply according to that. It's called PTIB, which is Private Training Institute branch. Uh, and they are basically the ones that regulate all private community colleges. Um, you'll notice that the, the students that are enrolled in these institutes are 99% international students. And the reason that they choose in community colleges than, than, for example, degrees or bachelor's degree, going to universities, higher educational institutes, for there, there's many reasons here. Number one, uh, I think probably the most one, it's the cost. The tuition fees in bachelor programs can be significantly high, which not anybody all around the world probably can afford it. And, and number two, the... Um, the requirements in terms of enrollments is a little bit more, uh, it's less uh, strict, I guess. So it's not like something that is required to, high school diploma is more than enough. You, you don't even need to go for SATs or anything like that. You know? so, so the requirements for enrollment is not as very high. And, and the nice thing as well is that um, the vocational career colleges allows the students to also work and study at the same time. Uh, very similar to like how you do internship in, in, in university. Uh, at a hotel like in Glion, we did just, you know, one full semester of just, you know, a co uh, internship. Here we call it co-op. We don't call it internship. Uh, here we call it co-op. Uh, 
but 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 the idea is that the students can be able to to come and 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 do a within their program it can be split into two uh sectors uh, the first sector can be the academic stage and then the second sector would be the the co-op stage uh, which is basically to apply everything that they learn during their academic stage in in, in the co-op uh in the real world and it's very career focused so so for private institutes and private career colleges you'll notice that the material the style of delivery the 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 uh the whole um i guess all in all experience is not very tailored towards higher academic literature it's not like you know oh you need to make sure you follow the proper english uh apa guidelines that's not we respect it by all means, but our focus is really tailored towards teaching or or helping the students improve their soft and hard skills to prepare them for the real world outside. So you would say that it's actually probably stronger on practical skills. It's more practical than academic. 100%, 100%. And then another thing to add, Crystal, is that there's a lot of people that I've seen that come as students that are not just fresh out of high school, but you'll notice that there are people that are married, there are people that are older than me, like in their 50s and 60s. There's a, wide, a wide variety of different types of student dynamic. Mm -hmm. And after seeing the reasons on why they're coming here, they're choosing the student visa direction uh, to find a gateway to step into Canada and hoping that they can permanently stay. Uh, and 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 the career colleges is the the ones that we've seen a lot of success for students that came this way, and then they found a way to work in a company where this company was happy with their skills. That this company said we will be happy to sponsor you even after you're done with your program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's probably something you could tell us a little bit more about this link between uh, immigration and getting people with skills into the country because, I mean, tell us about Canada. Canada depends on immigration. Absolutely. I think it's fantastic. We, we, we as a college here, a private college, I noticed that we prioritize their success. And, and why, by saying that we will do everything we can to be resourceful, we will identify what are the things this student needs to to work on in order to prepare themselves for the real world outside. So whenever any, someone comes and immigrates, well, not immigrates, but comes to a college with the plan to fully uh, permanently reside, 90% uh, of the students say, yeah, yeah, I need to get sponsored. Yeah, yeah, I need to permanently stay. How can I, how can this happen? Well, I said, well, you're here right now with a limit on your student visa. Your visa is only uh, in relation to your program. Uh, should you finish your program, uh, you have a certain amount of time left in your visa. And if you don't do something about this, you either have to extend to a new program, which gives us the uh, chance to extend your, your visa to a longer time. And the end of the day, you buy more time. But, but, but what happens here is that um, the student will do everything he can to reach out to employers and to work for that employer, hoping that he can showcase or she can showcase uh, his or her skills to the employer, building relationship and showing that they're very, very good. 
to the point where the employee will say, you know what, I'm pleased with your performance. I know you're a co-op student right now with me. I will be happy to sponsor you. And this way we will update your student visa into, uh, let's say, for example, uh, Express Entry or LMIA or PNP, some other immigration process that allows them to open the door for permanent residence. So it's basically a win-win for, for everybody there. It's a win-win, Crystal, and one of the reasons why it's a win-win is because of the labor shortage that we kind of have here, especially due to the COVID incidents and all the pandemic, and a lot of people that are already employed decide to, they were let go, so they found other jobs, and now you're, you're noticing that a lot of hotels and restaurants have the high turnover, and they reach out to us because we have a very, very good relation with, of course, all of the, uh, you know, corporates and, and hotels and restaurants around. And they come to us to and they say, hey, we need to recruit. And, and within our institute, we have a, a team of specialists that focus just on developing students' uh, skills, whether it's soft skills or hard skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what you just mentioned, this is what we're hearing from uh almost everybody on these podcasts is how much the hospitality industry was uh, disrupted uh, by the pandemic with so many people leaving the industry. And now there's a serious shortage of qualified staff. Now, um, I'd like to ask you um, another question, going kind of back to what we've been talking about. You know, you went to a prestigious uh, Swiss hospitality management school here. And now you're working in a school that's much more focused on practical um, training. Do you think that hospitality schools, from what you've seen uh, and what you've experienced, do you think they're focusing enough on practical training? And if not, how could they improve it? You know, there's just so many, there are so many institutes right now, even just here in Vancouver, because we would do our our, our research and and. Cornerstone is amongst the top right now here in Vancouver, the private college. So we always have to keep an eye and see what other institutes are doing. And whenever we recruit any instructors, some of them, most of them already have experience from other schools and they share with us how their experience is. And whenever we get information, I'm noticing they're all using the same outdated materials and same outdated techniques we all used to deal with one particular association called ALA, which is the American Hotel Lodging Education Institute. And ALA is very well known throughout North America. They provide their resources to thousands of institutes around the world. Like even when I went to Jordan in the Middle East, I have relatives in the Middle East and there's colleges there. And when I went to see what are the materials they're using, it's ALA. So, so it's very internationally and commercially used. And then when I looked into the materials, even, in fact, even Cornerstone used to have Alab when I first joined. But then when I looked at the materials, with all respect to, of course, the Alas Association and the resources, it's great, but very outdated. In fact, they put, the, they put it together back in the early 90s, and you'll notice all the examples are still being explained in 2020 using examples from the early, uh, late 1990s. So, so, so seeing the materials, uh, most of the schools all use that same 
type of resource. I discontinued with them as a, as, as cornerstone, and I said, no, we need to separate ourselves from the rest of the market because whether they're in Vancouver or in Toronto or Montreal, if they're studying hospitality programs, there's a big chance they're all using the same resource, which is Alice. It's great. They, they have the whole package instructors resources for you to use. But I did not very. I did not really like it. So what I did was I reached out to hotel experts and we did subject matter experts to come and join us. We invited them with us. We did a big, big table of groups of individuals that are hotel managers, and we sat down and and looked at current trends and how we can customize our materials more towards today's current situation and then we build our own materials everything is customized now amazing initiative that's because you know curriculum development it's one of the hardest things in education is to keep keep everything up to date it takes a lot of uh, work absolutely absolutely fantastic that's that's one of the things crystal that i've been heavily uh, involved in curriculum and program developing and making sure that our material stands out more than than our than our competitors so one of the things i read about in your bi- biography is uh, micro credential workshops can you tell us more about that what is what exactly is that this is a big one in fact this is a big one. The reason why it's a big one is because now public institutes are are are, are starting to implement this in their in their programs. Um, and 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 uh, I've had conversations uh, with uh, more than one institute here that wanted to do like uh, accreditation and articulation ag- agreements. So when I heard and listened to more than one member of different universities and, and, and institutes, they're all talking about micro-credentials. So it's, so, so it's now a very big topic for many, many um, managing directors and developers in, in schools. So what it is basically is the idea here is, Crystal, to have, if you were to be an employer, Crystal, let's say you're a, you're a, you're a restaurant manager, and someone is interested to apply and work in your restaurant. Uh, this student will come and, or this, sorry, this person will come and submit their resume. You'll look at their resume. You'll look at their work experience. You'll look at their education. And with all respect to all of the institutes, you might not be familiar with Cornerstone College. Okay, good for you. You have a diploma from Cornerstone. Great. Good for you. You have a degree from Glion. Great. With all respect to all these institutes, you as an employer from this restaurant, you're happy or you like the idea, but that doesn't confirm or guarantee that this student is able to come and apply their skills right away. They need to go through training, whether you like it or not, right? Micro-credentials is, is something that can uh, bypass the training process that you as an employer have to go through with this particular candidate should you when you when you when you hire them because these workshops are basically a practical workshops that are focused on the the uh, systems or the areas that they do during the work on the job so the on the job training is being applied right now in these workshops i'll give you an example uh, food safety is very common. Uh, you want uh, any student that wants to work in a restaurant must have a food safety certificate that certifies that they're familiar on how to handle food. Now, you would not bring that student on board if they don't have this certificate, regardless if they're from Glion or anywhere. You need this. This is like a prerequisite, at least to confirm that you're familiar on 
on you know food and micro and you know pathogens and you know microorganisms and all bacteria on food. Like you need to know this information and how to handle the food before you come. That's what I'm. And then you, they would go and attend a workshop for food safety. Uh, just to to give you another example, and this is where Mr. Marcado might be familiar with. Uh, is that when I was teaching at one time where students were in the classroom, I had my aha moment. I had my aha moment. What I mean by that is when students were asking about the food safety certificate workshops, they asked, well, is there something similar for rooms? And I'm like, well, what do you mean for rooms? They're like, well, I want to go work in, a, in, the, in the reception. I want to work at the front desk. And I'm like, yeah, well, I don't know how to use this system, this P, uh, PMS system, the property management system. And then I'm like, hold on a second. And that's when I stepped out of the class. I started to look back into all of my previous experience of all the hotels that I worked for. And I noticed they all use the same property management system, Opera. And uh, and, and with that being said, I, I, I started to think things through. I said, well, why don't we reach out to, uh, you know, existing companies that have opera training, but not like uh, e-learning training, more hands-on practical training, which doesn't exist. Right, right. Which doesn't exist. So long story short, I reached out to some hotel managers and I asked them, I said, hey, what pro what system are you using in your hotel? They said, we're using Opera Cloud. And I looked at another hotel. What are you guys using? Opera Cloud. And I'm like, who's the person that installed this for you? They said, well, Opera comes from Oracle, which is the largest technology corporation in the world. I'm like, can you, can you connect me to this person? And then, law, and then of course, where we are today, we created, our own, we created our own Opera training system, which we now apply in more than one institute here in Vancouver for practical training. And now students are, are becoming Opera certified so that when they go to a hotel and they want to apply as a front desk agent, they're familiar with the system and they know how to use it right away. Right. Uh, I just, when you were talking about, you know, using these outdated materials, uh, it made me reflect that uh, Mr. Marcato has done uh, something similar with his Swiss Hospitality Guild. He is now also, um, he's created a skills training manual that is completely up to date. You know, this is out of his uh, work with World Skills and Hotel Reception. And, uh, you know, I think that, that that's something that I can just say that I think that's very admirable that even though this, uh, these older materials, everybody's using them, that you have the foresight to say, okay, wait a minute. Now, this is not working anymore. We've got to do, you know, we've got to keep up. And of course, it's so much easier just to not worry about that. And of course, it's a lot less expensive just to take all of this old material and keep using it and, you know, rehashing it and reusing it. But, you know, it takes a lot of foresight to say, you know what, this this is outdated. We've got to we've got to do something about this if we really want to educate. Yeah. Got to stay with the program. It has to. It has to for the sake of the students' future and, and their success. It has to. There's so many things that I mean. And, and, and technology alone is 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 growing. I mean, it's the innovation of technology is going so fast. We have to keep up to what's happening right now in comparison to 20 years ago. And that's the next question I have for you. So, what is your view of the impact that technology has had on the hospitality industry? This is a debate on how, well, I'll tell you that 
I've met, I've been thankful. I mean, I'm people will look at me as a, as a young man, but I'm in my, I'm approaching forties right here. So, so by the age that I'm in, I was able to thankfully see the transition from going into manual, semi-manual to automatic, semi-automatic, you know, that transition from having things uh, in the nineties that did not have access to the internet and to all of these, I know that one thing right now is that we've shifted to a different era, which is really focused on information right now. And, and it's, not in, it's not the industrial revolution. We're done with the industrial revolution. We're in the in information revolution now. And the access to information is just mind, it's just crazy how you can have access to information so rapidly. And that's, it's great, but at the same time, it's scary because you don't know what's real information, what's not. Anyone can put anything out there. It's really hard. And, and of course, with the impact of social media and how people are influenced with what they see online, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's scary. Uh, but in a good way, but on the good side, I think it's extremely powerful as, as a tool to use if you use it the right way. Uh, the way I personally think the direction is going... Um, Yes, service is going to, uh, we've done studies on this many times in our class and we've done case studies and reports and we, we've also tried to forecast what the future 2050 would look like, 2030 would look like. And, and you're noticing that there are hotels right now like Zoo Hotel in China by Jack Ma's uh, Alibaba's hotel, which is strictly uh, operated by robots. There's no employees there. Uh, you know, there's, uh, these are case studies that we talk about. There's other types of great innovation where uh, in Dubai, everything is man-made, uh, eye-popping and jaw-dropping buildings. Everything is just like, oh my God, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Very innovative. Uh, Dubai, uh, Saudi Arabia is competing heavily with uh, Dubai, as United Arab Emirates, trying to implement and develop something called the line. And the line is basically a 300 kilometers of a, a, a man-made uh, city that's only going to be a vertically stretched line. It's crazy what they're building in this city in order for them to boost their tra their tourism using just strictly, uh, you know, technology and, and all of the great innovations. I think that what's going to happen is in the first line of entry, uh, entry-level positions of workers down the road are going to be replaced by machines what i mean by that is like you don't need to have someone employed to be the uh the, the bellboy uh you don't need someone to deliver room service or uh, the costs of of so having machines and robots to come and do service for you is great because they don't have salaries they don't have time off there's no sick leaves or any of that it's something that just keeps on going and now it's we're seeing it slowly starting to implement uh, but then that's going to be raising a very big concern towards the labor force in the labor market what's going to happen with the people that would like to work in these positions so one of the studies that we came across we found that um, what is required for humans to do uh, as we move towards this direction is that they have to help and they have to improve more their conceptual skills as opposed to their technical skills. And conceptual skills is more uh, improving their knowledge and their ability to make better strategic decisions. 
So you as human race are no longer required to do the tedious work anymore. And you have to have robots do the dirty, nasty stuff that you don't like to do. And us humans that are properly, you know, professionals have to be more in the uh, discussion tables to strategic tables and, and focusing more on conceptual things. That's the, that's the way they say it's going, but I can't, I can't confirm that because I don't forecast the future. I can't see the future. I think that, you know, based on the conversations I've had with students, they're saying there's going to be a war between robots and human race. I mean, there's all that conversations here. We're going into the sci-fi world here, but Elon Musk alone, following Elon Musk takes me to another dimension. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I think... I think you're you're probably right. I think there will some, be some people that will love and appreciate and use technology, but I think there will also be a lot of people who will want the human touch. I think this is a question of maybe the hospitality industry opening up to lots of different kinds of experiences for guests and that kind of thing. Yeah, you said the key word, Crystal, the human touch that cannot be replaced by a robot there's no emotion involved we need that emotional connection what we can do is we will have a podcast just about that and we'll invite you back and and so i just have one question though before we stop talking about robots is who will deal with complaints about the robots that's the thing. What, are you going to get a supervisor robot that's going to come and sympathize? Is there an extra extra software element that's being put in this? What happens if there's a system crash or a virus? What, I, I don't know what to expect. I agree. What what does happen when there's a system crash? Okay, uh, just, just a couple more questions before we finish uh, the podcast. What would you say today to a young person to inspire them to choose a career? in hospitality. You know, you're in education now, but you've worked in the industry, young people coming into the industry. You know, why Why do you think they should choose this industry and field? I think that the hospitality industry is a very, uh, especially the hospitality education in general is an excellent program for anyone that wants to um, start off and in, in, if you're not sure in what direction to go, what I like about the hospitality in, in, gen, in particular, actually, is that you have so many options to consider here. You can really test the water out in different areas. You're not like coming to be a CPA uh, accountant or you're not being a specific marketer here or civil engineer. We're not talking into doctor. The nice thing about hospitality is that it's, it's, it's a pool of more than one options to consider where your personality, your skills, your your passion can connect with. If you were to, I always ask my students this type of question. I say, guys, do you remember when you were a kid growing up in your early childhood? What are the things that you see yourself doing a lot? What were the things that helped, that made you, like that, that got you happy and excited? And most of them said just to have fun and go out with friends and to connect with people. I said, well, this is a people industry. This is a service industry. We're not in that. We're not in a manufacturing plant producing products here. This is not goods. We're doing a service, and service has that extra element that's intangible, but it's so valuable and and it's fun. So if you see yourself uh, wanting to improve your skills in this area, you'll have an 
a, a pool of so many different varieties where you can find your skills, your personality, your qualities matching that. So if you're not in the type of person where you want to do front office, no problem. If you don't want to be in the front of house, you have the back of house option. If you if you don't if you if you find yourself more prone into uh, uh, art and you like cooking, then you have the kitchen and the chefs, and that's another world. You, all of these different various de various departments is like is like a playground that students can find where they would they would see that suits them best according to their personality and, and qualities. And that's why I always say cross training is important. Try different, not test the water. You know, put your foot in the water before you jump in. So try things out. And that's what I like about hotel chains is that in some hotel chains will offer management training programs, which allows the student to experience within the one year different areas. And, and so I like that, the type of dynamic experience for students. Mm -hmm. Okay, I just have one last question. What message would you like to convey uh, on this podcast? One last uh, final word. Final words? Well, before the audience or any of the viewers that are listening, you know, this is an industry, this is this podcast in particular is a message for everyone, you know, to hear that the hospitality industry is is is, is an industry built and developed by by uh, passionate people. You know, Mr. Marcado is a perfect example. And I can see also with you, Crystal, you have that. And there it, you can't put an you can't put an age like 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 this is something that grows with you and as you grow it just builds more and more and more so um if a person here wants to improve their if they want to connect if they want to be involved in the community if they want to do something different if they want to be an example if they want to put a smile in someone's face then the hospitality industry is the place for you to do that because it allows you to go into that extra level of connection that not many other industries pay attention to. And of course, Crystal, it doesn't matter what department it is. Like we're not going to go into the, the, the actual details here. It's really goes back to what is hospitality. So, so I would love to the audience and everybody to know that you know, the way you welcome a person and the way you treat a person and you treat them the way you would like to be treated, this is what hospitality is. And if you surround yourself with with people, with, you know, professionals like yourself, like myself, that really portrays this out, you know, from deep inside, uh, they will tend to uh, connect even more and find uh, more of a meaning and a purpose behind it. And there's, there's a strong purpose, giving something, giving to someone, doing something for someone. And that's more rewarding than any money in the world, to be honest with you. So that's why uh, I would say for anyone that's not sure about hospitality or not doesn't know, I say it's such a beautiful industry because it's an act of giving instead of an act of taking. Wow, fantastic. What a great message. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we wish you all the best in your career and your educa hospitality education career. And we hope that we can have you back as a guest uh, soon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Crystal. Thank you, Mr. Marcado, for having me. Take care and I hope to connect with you all soon. Today's episode is being sponsored by Swiss Hospitality Guild. 
SHG is a training center created to meet the strong demand for specialized hospitality staff. This training concept was born from the experience and expertise of its founder, Egidio Marcato. Egidio has become a reference in the world of hospitality coaching and has had success stories in skills championships, including Swiss skills, Euro skills, and world skills, as well as the AICR World's Best Receptionist Competition. Contact SHG at www.swisshospitalityguild.com.